read, because then something's going to happen, right? Something weird's going to happen. It's okay to be a little out of order, uh, a little, uh, uh, if you will, in regards to out of the ritual, if you will. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse number 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 18. And uh, I'm going to talk about a church named Thyatira. As I mentioned earlier, the the name of the city, all right, which, uh, brother, if you can uh, pull that up on the screen for us, uh, the name of the city uh, is up there, Thyatira. And again, uh, the way this is laid out is kind of like a kind of like a horseshoe. It kind of starts this way, goes up this way, and ends up uh, closer to the city of Colossae. Uh, that's where you get the letter of the Colossians. That's why when Paul writes to the Colossians, he mentions the epistle of the Laodiceans. You can read that later on uh, when you have a moment. Uh, we're going to end up there at the final end. And by the way, Christians, that's where we're at right now as far as time is concerned. We are in the period of Laodicea, all right? But we're going to talk about Thyatira tonight, and the name of Thyatira means odor of affliction, odor of affliction. But what I want to talk to you about, and we're going to understand, when, I, when we read the verses, it'll make sense, is tolerance becomes acceptance. Tolerance becomes, what you tolerate will eventually be what you accept. And, and I'll say it this way, when you tolerate uh, that which is good and righteous, you have to understand this how it works, you're going to be intolerant of evil. And when you are tolerant of evil and that which is against the word of God, you will eventually become intolerant. Listen, there are Christians, I'm talking about people that were trained the word of God the right way, who have, have over the years kind of found their way on the wrong side of things, and now they are the intolerant ones of people that do what I do and preach the word of God. Why do you have to raise your voice? Why do you have to be so dogmatic? Why do you have to know? Because the Bible says lift up your voice as a trumpet. Because the Bible says that, 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 that whenever someone gets up and preaches, they say, thus saith the Lord. They don't go, well, if you feel like, I know your experience might be, and I'm not sure about this, and I know in society, but the Bible says, therefore, it's right, right? So, so listen, when, when, you, when we go into this, it's going to make sense, but the theme tonight is this, what, from tolerance to acceptance. Look at uh, verse number 18. And the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. And his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works. And you may go, that must be a misprint, because earlier on verse 19, it already says works. No, it's there, it's there for a reason twice. All right? And the last, talking about the last works, to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed on idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then to commit adultery with her in a great tribulation. Underline great tribulation if you can, at least mentally, if nothing else, because that's important. We'll come back to that. Except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death. You say, God wouldn't do that. He, he just said he did. Now, you, you have to come to grips with something, guys, and that is that the God that's been presented by Modern Christianity is not the God of the Bible. Uh, he takes no pleasure. Now listen, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But it doesn't mean that judgment doesn't come. Yeah. All right? Uh, look what it says here. And all the churches shall know, verse number 23, that I am he which searcheth the, heart, the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none of the burden. But that which you already have, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh, by the way, Christians, that's a good thing to do till he comes back. Hold fast till he comes. 
And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. Underline the word works there. That's important as well. To him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken of shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him, that's someone that's ruling with the Lord, the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I think it's very important. Be seated if you would. I think it's very important to start off with this thought. Uh, when we talk about Ephesus, uh, understand that when he uh, describes himself, look back at uh, uh, chapter 2, verse number 1, when the Lord describes himself, and we're talking about, in verse 8, look, look at verse 18 first. He calls himself the Son of God. This is the only time the phrase or the title Son of God shows up in the book of, of Revelation. It's obviously a reference to Jesus Christ. And notice what it says, his eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. We're going to describe why that's important and why that's relevant to the subject of judgment in just a moment. And it kind of correlates very well, kind of parallels very well with what we're learning in the Gospel of John, what we talked about this last Sunday, about the Father committing all judgment under the Son. We're going to look at that in a moment. But notice that every time he talks to each church, he talks about himself and he describes himself a little bit differently. Here he's the Son of God, his eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Look back at chapter 2, verse number 1. Notice he says that he holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. You say, what is that? He's the light of the world. He's the one that gives light to the church. When the church decides to put Jesus Christ outside the church, that's when the church becomes dark and like the rest of the world. All right, so in every passage, in every church he's talking to, uh, Jesus refers to himself in kind of a little bit of a different way. Look at verse number eight when he's talking to Smyrna. Uh, look what he says here. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. You say, what is that? He's the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, he's the beginning and he's the end. He's the alpha and he's the omega. Uh, look at verse number 12. When he's talking to Pergamus, he refers to himself as the one that has the sharp uh, sword with two edges. You say, what is that? It's a re- reminder he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the sword that comes out of his mouth are the words of God. So in every one of these, he's kind of reminding us a little bit of a different uh, aspect of who he is and what he brings to the church, depending on the message he has for that church. So with this church, there's some reference to judgment. You say, why is that? Well, remember, look at verse 18. He says in verse 18 that his eyes are as a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Look at Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to look at a lot of verses tonight. It's Bible study. That's kind of the point. Uh, Revelation, and I'm going to encourage you like I do all the time, take notes, take notes. Uh, And uh, I know you can get a picture of the stuff up here, and that's good. But you writing notes down will help you remember what it is we're studying. Uh, Revelation 19, look if you would, at verse uh, number 11. And I saw heaven opened. And every time heaven opens, there's a reason for it. It might be a blessing, it might be for judgment, but it opens on purpose. It opens intentionally. Uh, Look at verse number 11. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse... This is at the end of the tribulation. Now, uh, what we're talking about are seven letters to seven churches, and we've been talking about this. There's a practical application, which is something that we can look at in regards to the the, the time of the church period uh, that we are in right now. We are in the age of the church, the age of grace, some people call it. All right, And then there's going to be, after the rapture of the church, the great tribulation, and after that, the millennium. Well, when the Lord comes back on that white horse, that's where you're at in Revelation 19. You are basically, when you're reading Revelation chapter 19, you are right over here at the second coming. And right after that second coming, he establishes his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. Just to understand context of where it fits uh, in in the prophecy of the scriptures. All right. Uh, Look at what it says in verse number 
uh, uh, 12. His eyes were as a flame of what? All right. So remember that. That's really, really important. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I'm going to give you some practical things to think about as the church. Uh, why does the Bible refer to his eyes as a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass? Uh, you may not know this, but in the Old Testament, God warns Israel. and He tells them in Deuteronomy that if you turn on me and you worship false gods and you go to the, the heathen and you mix with them and you take on their ways and you believe like them and you dump me in so many words... If you do that, uh, listen, here's what's going to happen. Your heaven is going to be like brass. Now, you may remember, it talks about over in, uh, uh, in, in Corinthians, where it talks about speaking in tongues. Uh, it talks about uh, brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's a noise. It's a heavy element. And when your heaven is as brass, it's almost like your prayers aren't getting up to God. There's, a, there's something there that's kind of a, a cloud, if you will, almost like a, a layer of judgment. And that's what brass is associated with in the Bible. You might remember uh, that uh, uh, Solomon's sons, Rehoboam, uh, after they took the gold, the shields of gold, and they had gold, gold you say, what's a gold a picture? It's a, it's a picture of deity. It's a picture of royalty. It's a picture of being connected to God. It's the highest form of purity. And pure gold is translucent like streets of gold. All right, and, and so it talks about a sea of glass, and there's all, all kinds of stuff in there. We won't talk about that right now, but the point is this. Gold is the high, the high metal, right? And you say, what, is, what comes under that? Well, silver and so on and so forth. And then you get to brass. Well, what Rehoboam did when the, uh, the Babylonians or the Egyptians, excuse me, uh, took the, the shields of gold, you say, what did he do? He replaced them with brass shields. Well, what the, it looks like gold from afar, but it's not. Uh, you say, what was it? It was a picture of judgment. God's hand had been removed, all right? God's judgment is on them, all right? So, so brass is connected with judgment. Now, eyes as a flame of fire, why is that important? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, now, listen, you're going to be judged, and we talked about this uh, in the Sunday school lesson. If you weren't here, um, basically, your judgment is not the same as that of a lost person's judgment. Uh, your judgment is the judgment of a servant, not the judgment of a sinner. And as a servant, amen, thank God, brother. Uh, we all ought to be thankful for that. I'm glad I won't stand at the great, great white throne judgment and hope that my good works outweigh my bad works only to hear, uh, depart from me, for I never knew you. Thank God for that. Uh, but when I go here, now you've got to keep this in mind. You know what Paul says when he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ? Kind of sobering, kind of sobering. He says this, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, a lot of preachers use that verse to talk about judgment of lost people, but that's not the context. The context is actually this event right here. You say, well, why would it, why would it be terrible? Well, it's not because you're going to lose your salvation. That's already settled. If you're there, you're saved. You know why it's terrible? You're looking into the eyes of him, not the preacher, not Brother Tim, not Brother Sean, not, some other brother, not, not someone who went to Bible school, not some preacher that you love and you admire. Uh -uh. You're looking in the eyes of the one that the creator of the universe that loved you enough to die for you. And all the excuses that worked with the brethren, all the excuses that worked with your spouse, and the excuses that worked at church and with the preacher and whatever else, I don't have eyes as flame of fire. I can't look in everything, but he will. Amen. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and, and notice something here. It's important you get a hold of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. Look what he says in verse number 11. For the foundation can no man lay, then that is laid. 
which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. If you're going to build on anything, you've got to build on him. He's the, he's the salvation of our souls. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, there's, three, there's two categories, those things that, that last and those things that don't, the things that endure and the things that, that instantly dissipate. Gold, silver, precious stones, those endure. Wood, hay, stubble, they, they burn up right away. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day, you say, why is he called the day? Because this event right here, if you run all the references, and we don't have time to do it right now, but if you're taking notes, go home and plug it. Don't plug it into Google. That's a waste of time. Uh, <laughs> plug it into your concordance, all right? And you want to get lost real fast. I don't mean lost as like the, the, lo the loss of your soul, but like confused and completely out in left field. Uh, type in day of, of Christ, day of the Lord into YouTube, and you're going to come out all kinds of confused, man. Uh, you, just, you just never know what's out there, right? Uh, but here, the day of Christ. The day shall declare it. What day is that? That's the day of the rapture and the day of the judgment seat of Christ because they're connected. When you get caught up, you stand in front of your, uh, in front of your Savior, uh, in front of your judge. And the body of Christ as a whole, the church, right, she makes herself ready. Listen, we've got some weddings coming up, all right? And, you know, I got the pretty white dress and, you know, you know, come down the aisle, you know, and and then uh, uh, how does it, how's it, dun, dun, all rise, you know, dun, dun, like a judge is coming in the room or something, oh, you know, you know, and, and you know, you pay attention to the area, eyes are, all eyes are on the bride, no one cares about the groom, he's just there, you know, I'm going to tell you something, when we get to heaven, it's going to be the other way around, all the eyes are going to be on the groom. All right, but the bride's going to make herself ready. What does that mean? She's got to get a white dress. It's not white right now. It's got some stains on it. Uh, but he's going to make, make sure all that comes out nice and clean and perfect and gets ready for wedding day. Now look at uh, verse number, uh, uh, yeah, 13. Every man's work shall be made for the day, day of Christ shall declare it, because it, what's the it? Your work. By what? Well, look at that. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Um, if a man, any man's work abide which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Notice it doesn't say he'll be burned. It's his work that's going to be burned. He'll suffer loss. In other words, you're going to be saved till you, man, you're, 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 so you're so eternally secure. The only way you could go to hell is if Jesus Christ went. He's not going again. Uh, he went once when he died and was buried and preached to the spirits that were in prison. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's another Bible study for another time. But look what it says here uh, in verse number uh, 15. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by what? Fire. All right. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22. And I'm going to give you a practical kind of thing here to chew on. And we're going to kind of interweave. We're going to kind of bounce from practical to doctrinal. It's kind of like, you know, doctrinal, practical, do the hokey pokey, turn around, you know. <laughs> We're going to be moving around a little bit. So uh, on the practical side, understand that a Christian should have good works. You're not saved by works. We're going to make this very, very clear. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have good works in your life. All right. Uh, so uh, that said, your work's going to be judged somewhere by who? Well, by, by what? Well, by the eyes of the Lord himself. But it says in that passage, the work shall be tried by what? By fire. Now, keep in mind this, the only person that can make a righteous judgment every single time is not you, is Jesus Christ. The only way you can make a righteous judgment is to learn to see through his eyes. 
Now, look at Luke chapter 22, and you might remember Peter, uh, good old Peter. He's a great picture of us. He's a good picture of the believer that kind of gets messed up. And here, here's my take on Peter. I think Peter had all the right intentions. I think Peter had all the right intentions, but Peter uh, had all the right intentions as long as things were going to go the way that Peter expected. Any of you Christians ever been there before? We're like, <laughs> he's like, no, not me. <laughs> like, like, I've been there where it's like, Lord, I, Lord, I'll serve you. Like, Lord, call me. Uh, Lord, here am I, Lord, send me, you know. I, I, oh, but, but if it's that place or that person, get Joe to do it. Do something, Lord. <laughs> Find someone else because that's not, you say, what is that? Well, that's, that's Peter. I'll follow you all the way to the end. I'll follow you all the way to the end. In parentheses, as long as you pick up a sword too and don't look like a jerk. And don't look like a wuss. As long as you look a, a brave macho man like me, and as long as we can go out in a blaze of glory, I'll, I'll die with you. That's the expectation. Well, God may not call you to die in a blaze of glory. He may not call you to be dying at all right now. He may just call you to get up and read your Bible again and talk to the guy at pump number eight. You know what I'm saying? And if you ever find us, pump number eight, we love you and we're praying for you, all right? Uh, but look at Luke chapter 22, and, and let me just show you something here about Peter. Uh, look at Luke 22, look if you would at verse 54. Then took they him, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed, what are the next two words? Watch, watch your walk with God. When you get a little too comfortable with the wrong people, you start following Jesus a little bit far off. He said, how do you know? Well, look at verse 55. And when they had kindled a... That's important. This is very much so connected. Bear with me. We're going somewhere with this. In the midst of the hall, and we're set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the what? And earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, (laughs) what a great way to, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Apparently didn't know them on a first name basis. <laughs> and about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Now watch it. And the Lord turned, and what's the next word? And he did what? Their eyes got locked. Where was Peter at? What was he next to? He was next to a fire when he locked eyes with the Lord. Now, what was Peter doing? Peter was denying the Lord. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. You can deny the Lord. You won't lose your salvation, but you'll lose about everything else. I'm thankful for eternal security. But you understand something, when it comes to his eyes being as a flame of fire, he doesn't miss anything. Now, uh, someday, if the Lord doesn't come back before then and you get married and you have kids, you're going you're gonna to find out what it's like to have a kid look at you and you're going to swear he's telling the truth and he's lying through his teeth. <laughs> uh, you're going to know exactly, and you're going to be like, I can't believe little Johnny, <laughs> I can't believe little Johnny would do that and look at me in the eyes and... And like, no, Daddy, I didn't do it. I promise it wasn't me. I know he's telling the truth. But then I find out later he lied. Uh, I'll give you guys a funny story. We, uh, one time I had the boy, I think the boys were with me maybe not even quite a year. 
And I took him a discount tire and said, boy, sit here, don't move. Now, that's a bad idea. Don't ever do that. <laughs> um, and the car was on, but it was in park. I know it was in park. And all of a sudden, I'm in line. I kind of I look, just kind of glance over. You ever feel like something just moving in the side <laughs> in the peripheral? And I kind of just look over, and I'm like, I think that's it. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's my car. <laughs> and it's backing into a Cadillac Escalade. Oh. And then a little Asian boy pops out of it and rolls out of it. And I said, whoa, that's my son. <laughs> and I don't know what happened, Dad. I don't know what happened. I didn't touch anything. I don't know. I don't know. Six months later, six months later, you know, we're having a conversation. I said, you did pull it into gear, didn't you? He goes, oh, I did, Dad. <laughs> oh, man. Now, listen, the Lord's not going to experience that. Because the very moment you look at him, you, you're going you're gonna to melt. All the excuses will be gone. I didn't have time. I was too busy. Uh, I was afraid they'd laugh at me. Uh, it would have cost me too much. My family was going to disown me. The list goes on and on and on. My boss wouldn't have given me the promotion. I mean, this thing can go on forever. But when you stand in front of him, man, all bets are off. Uh, look at First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. And, uh, well, that's a, that's a good one, but that is not what we want. Second Timothy, sorry guys, Second Timothy chapter 2, forgive me. Second Timothy, well, we're going to go to First Timothy 2 tonight, but not yet. Second Timothy chapter 2, look if you would, at uh, verse number 11, is a faithful saying. Second Timothy 2, 11, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also what? Rain, Rain with him. If we deny him, he also will what? Now, what he's denying you, what he's denying you, is not salvation. It's not this. What he's denying you is rewards here and the chance to reign with him. You'll be there, but you won't be reigning with him. I'm not going to go into all that tonight, but that's what you're being denied. So Peter denies the Lord, right? You go, the Lord didn't deny Peter. Hold on. You don't remember after he rises from the dead. Look at Mark 16. Look at, this is pretty cool. Look at Mark 16. His eyes is reflecting. You know why I'm going through this? Uh, every church he writes, he goes, this is who's talking to you. It's not the preacher. It's not John. It's Jesus himself. And you need to get that tonight. You need to understand it's the Lord speaking to you. Look at Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. After the resurrection, Mark 16 Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 6. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He, I love this. I love these three words. He is risen. <laughs> He's risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Watch it. Tell his disciples and who? Peter. What do you suppose that is? Because he denied the Lord. So the Lord says, Okay, you deny me, I'll deny you. Now, now you get, you say, what happens? The Lord gives him another chance, obviously. He takes him there in John chapter 21, and uh, he gets restored, and he eventually goes out and preaches in Acts chapter 2, and thousands of people get saved. Praise God for that. God's a God of second chances, but the point is this. Uh, if you deny him, he'll deny you the chance to reign and have rewards, and, and, and the idea is, just like Peter did that by fire, you're going to experience the same thing. And he never gets it wrong. His eyes are as a flame of fire. 
Now, the reason I, I'm kind of starting off with this is, number one, I want you to know who's writing, uh, who's telling you, who's talking to you through this. It's not just John. It's not just the angel. It's Jesus Christ himself. But also what I want you to get a hold of is this. His judgments are righteous and true altogether. All that God judges and says, this is right and this is wrong, he's right, whether you like it or not, and whether you, it makes sense to you or not. And the reason I say that is because of everything else that's in Revelation 2. Go there real quickly with me, Revelation chapter 2. Let's get back to our main passage, Revelation chapter 2. And uh, remember that when you got saved, God started a work in you, and he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. All right, so, so understand that, that while we're going to talk about works here, look at verse number 19. I know thy works, and then he goes through charity, service, faith, patience, and at the end again, he mentions works. Now, I, I do want you to understand from a doctrinal standpoint, look down at verse number 26. From a doctrinal standpoint, I want you to get a hold of this. This is called rightly dividing the word of God. All right, so there's a practical application, which is this. When it comes to a church, they should be known by their works, uh, but it's not so much in regards to salvation. It's this. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he puts it in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's worked in you. And then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, you are told to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So God starts it in you. Now, here's the thing. Here's the question I guess I'll throw out. If God starts it in you, why does he tell you to work it out? Here's why. Because you're the one, nobody else in this room, you're the one that can stop God's work from flowing out of you. You're it. You're the one that goes, nope, 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 right there. I'll take it at church, but it'll stop right there. I'll listen to it. At, I'll read it at home by myself, but I'm not going to let it flow through me. I'm not going to let it be shown at work. I'm not going to let it be shown with my family. I'm not going to, I'm just, I'll, I'll hold it like a, like damming it up, like holding it all back. That's what we do at times. It's not God's work that does that. It's us. God's works in us, desiring to flow through us. It's on us to go, yes, Lord, I will allow that to work out of me. You can't think about this. The creator of the universe does not uh, take over your will. He says, here's what I want to do. Will you let me do it? Think about that. He, I mean, that's a wild thought, guys. He goes, uh, I'd like to do this. Through. And it's like, nope, that's okay. He goes, oh, okay. The one that said, let there be light. There's light. Let me call the night day and day night, you know, the, the, the night, uh, the, 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 the darkness night and the, the, the light day. And let me put the sun here and the moon there. And let me put this here and let me put the animals here. And all this, he just speaks and it all happens. And, and yet he speaks in our life and we're like, so, so, so understand, it, he desires, look, you are in Ephesians 2, you are created. You are his workmanship created unto good works. It's not that we should not express good works. It's that we understand in that same passage, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, we know that works can't save us. But there's a valuable aspect to works. You see, what is it? Testimony. People should look at your life. I'm not saying it's always the case. There are some saved people that look no different than lost people, act no different than lost people, and yet, you know what? You're going to get the glory. You're going to find them and go, I didn't expect to see you here. Don't worry. Someone's probably going to walk up to you and say the same thing. I won't, it won't be the Lord. He'll know you're there, and he's going to be waiting for you. But there'll be some people that'll be like, I wasn't sure about you, you know? There might be some people who think that about me. I can't wait to get there and go, here I am, you know? <laughs> but, but, but the idea is this. Look, your, your works are a reflection of God's work in you. So they are valuable. And, and from a standpoint of, of, of having a testimony, look, 
People should look at New Heights Baptist Church and say, man, people are getting saved there. People get discipled there. They love on you there. And guess what? Every once in a while, you ought to get an enemy that goes, I hate those people. Amen. We love you anyways, you know? You say, why? Because it shows you're doing something. It's like Brother Sean said before church. You know, you go and give out someone a gospel track. I'd rather have this. Get the blank away from me. Cool. I'd rather have that than, okay. <laughs> At least you know something's going on, right? You, know, you say, what is that? Listen, you, you, ought to, you ought to. Jesus Christ, when he walked in somewhere, he polarized people. I'm not saying you should walk in and you polarize people because you believe, you know, your American rights talk about politics and, you know, and, and walk in there and go, you listen to this, this terrible music, you shouldn't listen. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm talking about just being a, a born-again believer that lives by the word of God. When you go into a place, they go, there's something different about that person. And you say, that? that's the value of works. So he says, I know thy works. And you want to have those. Listen, we know we're not saved by them, but God saved you to do good works. Listen, when it, look, look at Acts 10. Look, go to Acts chapter 10 real quick. Sorry, I, where did I tell you to go before? Revelation 2. We'll, we'll go back there in a moment. Look at, look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And uh, look, if you would, at, oh, verse number 38. This is, this is Peter preaching the, the, the gospel to Cornelius, who is not saved yet. Cornelius, in my mind, is one of the greatest pictures of a good, lost, religious person. If you ever talk to a, I mean, it, seriously, think about this. Write this down. Put it somewhere in your mind. You ever get talking with a, a lost person that's a good, religious person, and there are those people out there. Man, they pray the, the prayers, they give to the poor, uh, they might even give to missions, they've gone through uh, certain stages in the church and things like that, but they're not saved yet. You know what I always like to do? I like to tell them about Cornelius. I like to tell them, look, to be honest with you, you're living a better life than a lot of people I know that go to churches that believe what I believe. I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of some of the things you're doing. I think it's great that you do X, Y, and Z. That's amazing, but can I tell you about a guy that was just like you? Let me read to you about him. Look what he did. He gave alms. You guys give to people. Yeah, we give to people. And listen, he did this, and he prayed every day. You pray every day. Yeah, I pray every day, but look what it says. It says he wasn't saved. And look at verse 3, when Peter preaches to that guy, look what he says here about Jesus Christ. Our example, look at verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing what? Good. That's a good thing to do, <laughs> to do good, right? Listen, I, no, I'm not saying this to, to brag, I'll just tell you what, Lord impressed me to do it, I, I said, okay, I'll do it. Uh, there was a, <laughs> went to the, one of the, star, and it's a Starbucks testimony, bear with me, all right? <laughs> I was at a Starbucks yet again. It was in a King Supers though, so it was different this time, all right? And so at King Supers, they can't take tips because they're King Supers employees. And so I, you know, I said, hey, I said, where's the tip jar? They're like, oh, we can't take tips. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And uh, Lord said, you want to give them tracks, don't you? I said, yes, Lord, and it's Christmas time. So I'm like, I, I want to give them a tip and kind of use that as an open door and so the Lord says, well, open up your wallet. I said, well, Lord, you know, five bucks is good. He's like, you cheap? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, it's Christmas time. You got to save your money. And the Lord's like, you're, so is it 10 bucks worth of soul? Okay, all right. And then the Lord's like, now look back behind the counter. There's three of those ladies. I'm like, that's 30 bucks. <laughs> so I, I go through and I just get three $10 Chick-fil-A gift cards. And I come back and I said, I know you guys can't take tips, but if a random 
uh, customer from the store wants to give you a Chick-fil-A card, you can't say no. And they smiled real big. And I said, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? They all listened. Now, you see, what is that? Just try and do some good. Try and do some good. Um, look, the, the, the idea is this. When it comes to your works as a believer, there's a practical application of what he's talking to the people in Thyatira about. But I want to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, go, go back to Revelation 2. Now, we're going to go there in, intentionally this time, I promise. It's not a pastoral ADD bunny trail here. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 2, and I want you to notice something about the works that he talks to them about. So there's two applications to, to this. There's the, well, three technically. There's a historical one. We're not going to talk about that so much tonight because we've been doing that. You understand that it was a church that existed, and we see the city. We saw it on the map earlier. It was a church that existed in a city that existed uh, in Asia Minor, which is essentially uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey today. But as it relates to a practical period of time in church history, it's around 500 to 1,000 A.D. You see, what is that? Dark Ages. Now, it doesn't make sense what made the Dark Ages until they get out of the Dark Ages, until you see what brought them out. When you see what brought them out, then it makes sense what got them into it, all right? Uh, but what, what I want you to understand is this. From a practical standpoint, in regards to works, everything I just said applies to you. Here's where we're going to take a little bit of a detour on the doctrinal side. So you understand how to rightly divide your Bible and don't make the Bible say things that it doesn't say. So we take it at face value. There's a practical application to me as a Christian today. But doctrinally, there's some things here that just don't jive. My works have nothing to do with my eternal soul. The only work that mattered for my eternal soul was the work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Right? Now, look at Revelation chapter 2. Now, in light of that, in light of that, look at verse number 26. Revelation 2, verse number 26. And he that overcometh, overcometh what? Jezebel. We're going to learn about her in just a moment. She's a catch. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. Keepeth my what? How long? To the end. To him will I give power over the nations. Time out. As a Christian, I don't need power over the nations. I've got greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I've got all that already. All right, now you've got, you've got something going on here. This has to do with people that are going through the great tribulation. Go back up, reverse, beep, 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 all right? Reverse that thing back up to verse number 22, and notice what he says about the judgment to Jezebel. Where does she get her judgment? In what period of time? Is it not, say, into great tribulation? About halfway through that verse? All right, underline that. That's important. Because what you're, what you're talking about is a period of time uh, that is not just a, a general tribulation and problems and trouble, but the great tribulation. Uh, let me give you an example. Look at Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew 24, then we'll look at a place in Revelation 14. Let me be very clear. I want to be very clear. The salvation that you have today cannot be earned by works. I'm going to say it over and over and over and over so that nobody walks out of here and says, Pastor Adrian says people can get saved by works. Watch it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying anyone can ever, through all, all time, can ever obtain the blessings of your salvation by works. That is not possible. The only one that could work for that salvation was Jesus himself. All right. Uh, but you have to understand this, when the body of Christ is removed from this earth, all right, we're talking doctrine, we're talking prophecy, when the body of Christ is removed from this earth, rapture of the church, then guess what, you, you, the body of Christ is gone. So the promises to the body, the promises to the body of Christ, those go with the body, all right? And you say, what's left? Well, you got people on, uh, that will go through the tribulation, the majority of them will reject God. In Revelation, it talks about people who literally 
uh, because of the plagues that are coming down, they're biting their tongues in pain. <laughs> like that. And they're losing their minds. And they still won't repent. And they're still cursing God. They're still blaspheming God. Well, the, 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 the answer to that question is you reject truth and you reject truth and you reject truth and you reject truth and the Bible calls it a reprobate mind. And people here, uh, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, God's going to send them a great delusion that they should believe a lie and they're going to do that. All right, but, but I, I need you to understand we're talking about an application to this. This is a future event that we're not here for. There's going to be churches... Groups of people, groups of saints that show up in the Great Tribulation. And I think these seven letters, while they apply to people historically, they're going to have an application over there as well. Because he talks about Great Tribulation, which is something we have not experienced yet. He says it's the greatest tribulation that's ever been on this world. No one's ever seen anything like it before. The plagues of Pharaoh, that'll be, they'll come real, real short of that. N nothing near, it's me. That's going to be peewee uh, uh, elementary school stuff compared to what happens in the Great Tribulation. All right, so look at Matthew chapter 24 in light of all of this. Now, remember, he says you have to, if you want to overcome, you got to keep good works unto the end. Remember that? Okay, so you know what a lot of people do? They read stuff like that and they go, see, unless you live the Christian life all the way to the end and you never give up and you never deny the Lord, you never, you know, mess up, then you're really safe. But if you don't do that and you mess up, then you're lost. That's how a lot of people interpret that. Now, not as a Christian, that can't happen to you, all right? Uh, he's going to perform it until the day of Christ, the good work in you. But look at Matthew 24. Those that go through the great tribulation, it's a different story for them. Look at Matthew 24, and uh, look, if you would, at verse number 7. Now, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the, what's the next word? Beginning. Beginning. That's a time period. Underline that. Circle that. Highlight it. Something. Then they shall deliver you. Now, before you keep pontificating on what this you is, go back to verse number uh, 1. Look at verse 1, 2, and 3. You know who's talking? Jesus. You know who he's talking to? His disciples, who are all Jews in Judea. And what is he talking to them about? The sign of Jesus coming back in the end of the world. Well, guess what? I got news for you. When they ask this question, when he tells them this, the rapture is something that's not even revealed. You know what they're talking about when he talks about the, the coming? He's talking about this over here. That was revealed over here before the cross. This wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. Outside of typology, it's not there. And so guess what? So when they're asking about the sign of, this, of his coming in the end of the world, they're talking about this over here. Well, guess what, Christian? You get taken out of here before all of that. Amen. All right? So it's not directed at you. Get a hold of that, all right? Uh, look what it says here in uh, verse number... Uh, eight, uh, verse nine. Then shall they deliver, uh, deliver you up to be, what's that word? That's a, that's a key word for tonight, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all, what's the next word? Do you know, you know what's getting ready right now? You know what's happening right now? Free Palestine. Bunch of stupid, ignorant, American college-educated jackasses getting up there. Free Palestine. They have no idea what they're talking about. I, I watched the video where, like, where's Palestine? She's like, you couldn't even find it on a map. Shut up. Man, you have no business stopping traffic in a city where people are dying and ambulances are trying to get through because some message you don't even know what you're talking Just shut up. Go read, a, read the Bible. <laughs> uh, 
now, now what that is, that's a generation that's raised on media and social media, and all their friends are doing it, so they're doing it. Uh, and so guess what? The whole world's getting ready for. You think, you think a- anti-Semitism was at its height in World War II? Not even close. You've got all kinds of people that hate each other right now. Okay, let me give you an example. Uh, I just read an article about a gay Muslim man or a gay Arab that just was beheaded in Gaza this last week. Now, over here, the gays are going free Palestine. One of their own gets their head chopped off. You say, why? They're ignorant. They don't know. Now, how do you get these people to agree on on hating Israel? I'm going to tell you why. It's a spirit. And so what you're reading about is not directed at the church. It's directed at Israel and the Jewish disciples. Now, now look what happens here. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 10, that then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be what? So you know what a lot of people do? They read that and go, see, you got to live it. You got to live it all the way through. First off, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not Israel. I'm not a Jewish disciple. I'm not going through the great tribulation. This is what we call rightly dividing the word of God. And, and so you have to endure to overcome. Are you watching this? Now, now, you cannot ignore this. You cannot ignore that the works that are being spoken about in Revelation chapter 2, man, they go over here. And you know what it is connected with? It is connected with their salvation, not your salvation. Salvation you have is not the same as, they have to endure in the end. I don't have to endure in anything. The endurance has already been done for me through Jesus Christ. But you have to understand, it's a different group of people. Uh, He says you can overcome if you keep the works unto the end. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I don't want to make your head spin. I don't want you to walk out here and go, Pastor said we get saved by works. I don't believe that anyone can be saved by works today. Now, the salvation you have is not the salvation that will be given in the tribulation. You say, how do I know that? Because I have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and therefore I'm eternally secure. They're not promised that, which is why you have the parable in Matthew 25 about the virgins that had oil and the virgins that didn't. Uh, the, the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. You don't know what that's about. We'll talk about it some other time. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Look, if you would, at verse 12. This is called Right Dividing the Bible. I want to make this very clear as we study this. Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the what? I'm not keeping commandments. I mean, it's a good thing to, to, to have good works. But notice this. Now, now watch it. Look at the mix. Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You say what? Well, you can't just, you can't go into tribulation and ignore this. They're going to have to come face to face with the fact that the Jews rejected their Messiah and the Gentiles rejected salvation that was offered unto them. So they're going to have to come face to face with the person of Jesus Christ. But because they don't have the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, guess what they got to do? They can't put anything on their body that's going to curse them forever. You say, what would that be? The mark of the beast? That's something that you put on your body. Look, if I went out today and I'm not saying I should do I won't do it. Don't don't freak out. But if I wrote six, six, six right here, I'm not I'm not cursed to hell. All right. Uh, but, but in the tribulation, when someone takes that mark, man, they're done. If you don't believe it, look at the verse right before it. Look at Revelation 14, verse 11. And this is why verse 12 is even there. 
Because he's telling you that those that take the mark and worship the image of the beast, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for how long? All right, you know what that means? Someone, Hebrews chapter 6, someone could have been following God during the tribulation. The heat gets a little too hot in the kitchen, and they go, you know what? I'm tired of this. I want to eat. I want to have money in the bank. I'm tired of being an outcast. I'll take the mark. Uncle! Right? Man, I'm glad I don't have to go through that. Uh, if you talk to someone today and they go, man, God just made it so hard, you need to tell them, hey, you got no idea. This is easy right now. It's going to get a whole lot harder in the future. Now, why am I going through all this? Because I want to talk to you about Jezebel and what she's a picture of, okay? Uh, look, if you would, at, uh, the, well, the passage mentions Jezebel. Go to the Old Testament. Go to the Old Testament. And you're going to learn that Jezebel, now, now think about this. Ephesus, you know what Ephesus was known for? They didn't tolerate anything. You know what Ephesus was? Not in my house, you know? That, that was Ephesus. And, and, and then Smyrna comes, and you read about the suffering of those under pagan Rome. But then papal, that's the church of Rome, the Roman church. Papal Rome sh- shows up, and Pergamus means much marriage, and they kind of assimilate the church, the real believers, with lost people, with pagan practices, and it all kind of becomes this new thing called the Roman church. All right, that's what happens over here between 325 to 500 A.D. And then in Thyatira, think about this. What you tolerate here will eventually come to eat you alive here. Now, you may go, what's the lesson for me? What you tolerate in your life will eat you alive tomorrow. What you say is no big deal. You know, they said, well, they kind of, they're making it easier for us and we can all kind of get, we don't have to fight anymore, we don't have to run for our lives. We don't have to have church underground. We don't have to be on the side of a bank. Now we can get a pretty building, you know. We, 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 can, we can have it all, right? We can have it all. Christian, you can't have it all. You have to figure out what, you, what matters to you most. And you know what they did? They tolerated some things here and the next generation pays for it. What we tolerate right now, and you say it's no big deal, and don't preach against it, and don't mention it from the pulpit preacher, and I really wish you wouldn't say that, and I really wish you wouldn't say this, and I've had people tell me, I just wish you wouldn't, okay, all right, and I mean this respectfully, look, I'm going to do what God asked me to do, to the best of my ability. You may find that it's not to your liking, and I can, I can, I can appreciate personal choice, but that doesn't, neglect, that doesn't mean I neglect what God's asking me to do. And just because it keeps rubbing you the wrong way, maybe I should ask yourself, why does it rub me the wrong way? You're just so intolerant. No. See, here you don't understand. I can deal with all kinds of people. I can talk to trans people and gay I have no problem with any of that stuff. But for me to say it's all okay, now that's a different story. You've got to understand, like, like, there's a difference between going out and yelling at someone because you disagree with their lifestyle. I'm not going to, Jesus didn't do that. You know what he did do? He preached truth. And then people got offended. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, Sean, give him an extra cup in the back. Would you give him a, give him a little extra welcome gift or something? You know what he did? Okay, then you go. He didn't worry about that. And we live in a day and age where, listen, every tolerant, but I love it when they put the big tolerance, you know, sticker and all the symbols. You know, that's, that's foolishness. Things cannot coexist. The coexist sticker, those things don't exist together forever. Something's got to give. All right? what, what I'm getting at is this. What one generation tolerates, the next generation accepts, and what they accept eventually eats them alive. And while you might be talking about sexual deviancy and all the stuff that's going on in the world today, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about what's going on in your personal lives. The things that you go, oh, just a little bit of that music, not a big deal. 
I, every time I talk about music, people, mm, preacher, just stay away from that subject, you know. Uh, uh, you know, look, look you're, you're allowed to have your own convictions, but I'm allowed to tell you you're wrong. Okay? Uh, now, I've done, I've done a couple series on music, and every time I do it, without fail, someone gets offended. And I always challenge them, I go, okay, then what did I say wrong biblically? I just don't think, uh, what did I say wrong biblically? Well, I just don't, what, where was the book, chapter, and verse where I was wrong that I presented? I just think, you just think you're right and everybody's wrong. I don't think that. I think I'm wrong half the time, too. You follow me around long enough, I'll tell you, man, I blew that, and I messed up there, and I messed up here. But when the Bible speaks, I can't, I'm not going to apologize for what the book says. And, and listen, a little bit of music here. I'll just watch this reel, and they drop an F-bomb, but it was funny. I mean, everything else was innocent. I like their politics, so I'm just going to overlook that. Okay. And you play a video game, and the woman's half naked on a video game. But that's not what I'm there for. Yeah, but it's getting into your head. You say, what well, is just tolerance? Just a little bit. No big deal. And you see what happens over time, you get seduced. And you start thinking that things aren't bad that are. And vice versa. You, and you know what you'll do? Here's what's funny about it. What you don't realize is over time, the more you allow that, the less tolerance you have for this. And I've watched it. I've watched Christians that know the book and know how to write the divide and everything else. And just little by little, they allow Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel. You know what the spirit of Jezebel is? The spirit of Jezebel, look at First uh, Kings chapter 16. The spirit of Jezebel, uh, and she was a person. She's a historical figure in the Old Testament. Uh, she's the wife of Ahab. And by the way, uh, if you had a chart of the kings of Judah and Israel, and we're wrapping this up, don't worry, we're, we're about done. If you have a chart of the kings of Judah and Israel, what you've got is you've got David is always the compare. Whenever uh, God looks at a king and he says he's a good king, he'll always say uh, he was as good as, or he did not live up to. Da- David's the standard for good kings, okay? And you go, well, David killed somebody, he did this. Yeah, I know, but, but he's the standard for good kings. Uh, he's the manager of God's own heart. Ahab is the guy that's always referred to as the standard for the bad kings. He did as wickedly as Ahab. Like he's always the, he's like the, the black sheep, like don't be like that guy, right? And, and so Ahab marries Jezebel. Well, who's Jezebel? She's the daughter of the king of the Zidonians. Now, I don't have a map, but if I did, uh, a map of Israel, that is, and poor, poor Lenny got his head bit off because he erased all this stuff and some, some saint was trying to get some things a copy the other day after Sunday school. What did you do that for? I'm like, poor, no, don't hit him, don't hit him. He's just, he, he's doing what his pastor asked him to do. Um, so if you look at Israel, all right, now it's a terrible drawing, but bear with me on that, all right? Um, it's, uh, that's like the reverse of New Jersey. That's about the size of Israel today, anyways. Um, so Dan was the tri- one of the northern tribes. You know what Dan does over in uh, Judges? Dan, by the way, Dan is referred to as a lion's whelp in Deuteronomy. A whelp is like a cub, okay? So he's connected with a lion, and he's called a serpent in Genesis. Well, who else in the Bible is a lion and a serpent? And Dan goes up here, and he says, we're going to have our own priesthood, and we're going to have idols used uh, for, uh, to help us worship. And they choose their own priest. You know, they do, it, they do it with money, and they buy a priest is basically what they do. And they build their own religion, and they kind of say, this is where, by the way, Jerusalem is where God told his people to come and worship him. 
And they were supposed to come there three times a year to present themselves to the Lord. And you know, the, the tribe of Dan does. They kind of do their own thing. And eventually God kind of writes them off. Now, now, what's interesting about the reason I mention that is this. The Zidonians, all right, guess where they were? Which, that's also Tyre and Sidon of the New Testament with an S. Zidonians. Well, guess what God they had? He had another name. Milcom. Moloch. Same guy. Now, check this out. Uh, I know I told you to go to 1 Kings 16. Go to 1 Kings 3. Just looking on him. 1 Kings chapter 3. See what happens. Solomon is mentioned. He is the wisest king that Israel had. God gave him wisdom because he wanted to lead and, and guide uh, God's people in wisdom, so God gave it to him. Look at 1 Kings chapter 3, look at verse 1. Who does King Solomon love? Is it there? Yeah. What verse would that, is it verse 1? Yeah. All right, who does he love? Pharaoh's daughter. daughter, all right. Now, look down a little bit later, look down at, uh, oh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, verse 3. Who does he love? Okay. So he marries Pharaoh's daughter, but he still loves God. Now, question, is Pharaoh's daughter someone he should be marrying? No, God told him, don't, don't do that. Bad Solomon. <laughs> as wise as he was, he was dumb when it came to women. Okay. Um, and so he marries, but he loves the Lord. Solomon loves the Lord. In chapter 8, I, you, go to, you don't have to read chapter 8, but just look at chapter 8. You know what happens in chapter 8? He builds the temple. And at the end of that chapter, you know what happens? The presence of God is so thick in the temple, the priests have to come out of the temple when they're dedicating all the, all the, all the instruments and, and all the money and all the, 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 the building itself and saying, man, this is for the Lord. The thickness of the, of the presence of God is so thick, the priests have to walk out. Solomon was connected to that. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, do you know what Solomon's wife wanted? You have a house for your God. Can I have a house for my God? Isn't this thing 50-50? Right? All right? He does it for one wife. You got to do it for all of them. You have any wives he had? Too many. Yeah, between concubines and wives, about 1,000 altogether. True story. Read, your, read the book. It's in there. I didn't make it up. It's in there. It's in there. All right. Now look at First Kings eleven. Look if you would at verse uh, one. Who does Solomon love now? Right. Now, here's the point. Over time, that didn't happen overnight. It happened over time. And the more you tolerate, 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 and the more you tolerate. You say, who's Jezebel? She's the one that Ahab marries. You know what Ahab does? He adopts her gods and has Israel worshiping false gods. Now, it starts, I don't have, well, I'll have you go to, go to chapter 18. I'll skip 16 for sake of time. In chapter 16, it just mentions that he basically brings her in and adopts her ways, okay? You say, what is that? Tolerance. Got to tolerate. It's my wife, right? Look at chapter 18, 
And notice that tolerance turns into tyranny pretty quick. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, you see what happens. Well, we kind of thought we could control it. It's kind of like sin in your life. You think you can tame it, you think you can handle it, and you can't. Uh, look at chapter 18 and verse 1. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto who? Ahab. Ahab. He's married to Jezebel. Keep that in mind. And I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah. That's the same guy that you, the, the book toward the end of the Old Testament. That's that Obadiah, which was governor of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Colon. Let me explain what that means. Look what he did. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. What does it mean she cut them off? She said, either you convert or die. Now, you say, what is that? There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I'll say this, and I mean this sincerely, right? I'm not saying any of you ladies are Jezebel, so don't, don't walk out of here with that, all right? But ladies, you have great power. Great power. If you're married, you have great power to influence your husband for good or for bad. And I'm going to tell you right now, just hear me out. All right? Some of you aren't married yet. Some of you aren't, were married. Don't ever want to be married again. Some of you are getting married. Some of you think you're going to get married. Some of you are happy to get married. Some of you are now scared to get married based on the message. All right, so, so here's what you understand. Ladies, you have, if, if you're married, you have great power to influence your husband for good or for bad. And Jezebel chose to do it for bad. Now, you say, what is Jezebel a picture of? She's a picture of the modern woman. I didn't say you're the modern woman. You know what modern woman says? I don't need a man. I'll run the show. Now, look at what happens with, uh, with Jezebel or with Ahab. Remember when Ahab says, I want that vineyard? Remember that? You guys know what I'm talking about? Now you guys still with me? We're almost done. All right, she, Ahab comes home. And Jezebel, what's wrong, honey? Nothing, you know. And he goes to his room and lies down and turns over. It's like, baby, tell me what's wrong. Who's got you all upset? It's that guy, Naboth. He won't give me his vineyard. Oh, honey, you're the king. Do whatever you want. Do you need help with this? I can take care of this. And she gets the guy killed. And you say, what? basically, here's what she does. She introduces this other religious system that is very appeasing to the flesh. But what it does is it destroys anything and everyone that stands for righteousness. That's what Jezebel does. And the spirit of Jezebel is something that you see not just uh, in the Old Testament, but it shows up again in the Great Tribulation. And Jezebel is connected with, look at first, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. You know what you're told to do? You are told in Romans 12 to abhor. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Yeah. Now, now, I'm going to say something, and I know it, I, I, I don't say it to be offensive, but we live in a day and age where so Christians are so unbiblical yeah. that when you speak Bible, it's offensive. Yeah. L- let me say this right now. We absolutely... Look, look at the people that were at the, at the cross when Jesus died. Women. Who were there at his burial, uh, at, at his tomb site, uh, to anoint him? Women. Who was the first person he showed up to after his resurrection? A woman. This is not a disparaging of women. If you take this out of this, you are looking at this completely the wrong way. But I'll say this. When you step into a position that God did not intend you to be in, all right, ladies, you take upon yourself, and that's what Jezebel does. She takes on king, the king's place. 
And she says, this is what we're going to do here, this is what we're going to do here. Uh, I'll give you an example. Over in Exodus uh, chapters 30 and 31, uh, God's preparing uh, the nation of Israel through Moses to build the tabernacle. And before he even builds the tabernacle, he gives instructions on how to dress Aaron and the priests. And he tells them to wear a, a crown and a golden miter and a crown around that and, 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 and linen cloths and all this kind of stuff. He lays out all the vestures and all the dressing and all that stuff for Aaron the high priest. And then he mentions a guy named Bezalel. And Bezalel is the guy that's supposed to build things out of gold. And then in chapter 32, when they can't find Moses, guess what Aaron does? The very next chapter, he stepped into something that wasn't his to step into. And anytime any of us do that, it's a problem. And so Jezebel does that. Understand this, ladies. There's a place for women to serve in our church. We absolutely need it. And on Vision Night, I hope that's very clear. But one place that it's not is behind the pulpit. And that's not, a, a, you know, that's not derogatory. That's not sovinism. That's not that God designed it that way. When you get to heaven, you can argue with him about it. All right? Uh, but the truth is that that's God. Now, you say, what is that? We have now a debate within Baptist churches. Should women be preachers? The Bible is pretty clear in it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because I feel like some of you are looking at me like, I don't know what you're saying. And I really don't want to take for granted that if someone here didn't know Solomon had a thousand wives, some of you may not know women shouldn't be preachers. Yeah. All right? First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter th- 2. And like I said, Solomon's a wise man, but man, when it came to women, poof. It was just like, baby, you shall find I'll never leave you. What's your name, girl? <laughs> don't be like Solomon. First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number... Uh, 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 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Ladies, there's a place where we need women that express good works. All right? Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. It doesn't mean you never ask a question at church. It doesn't mean you can't say amen. Uh, he's talking about, you're going to see what he's talking about here in just a moment. Look at verse 12. But I suffer not. Now, you may not remember because we breezed right by it, but do you know what he said to the church of Thyatira? You suffer this woman Jezebel to teach and to seduce. Remember what Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me? He's saying allow them. When you suffer something, that means you're allowing it. All right, so he says, suffer not, this is what Paul says in verse number uh, 12, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor you suffer authority of the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Now, that doesn't mean women don't have a voice, but it does mean this, it's not behind the pulpit preaching to other men. And if you're in a church that does that, you're in the wrong church. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Everybody gets all quiet. I'm not going to do it. We'll have five people. Pastor, I'm leaving. Okay, I love you, but there it is the door. I'd rather have that than people like, you know, silence the preacher because there's certain things you just can't talk about today. We're going to talk about because it's biblical. And guess what? If people out there that didn't call themselves Christians weren't doing this, I wouldn't have to talk about it. I'm not the one dividing people. It seems to me like when you depart from the truth, that's when you're dividing people. But we are where we're at, right? Look at Revelation chapter 17 in light of that. Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Come to my house for a while. You'll learn my wife has a voice. I don't ignore her. I listen. I mean, I'm serious. There's one time over there in the Old Testament. You, you guys are idiots if you don't listen to your wives. You ought to listen to your wife. God gave you a wife for a reason, to help you. There are things you don't see. You've got blind spots, gentlemen. She'll help you with that. We're not talking about women being a doormat, you know, coming into the church and, you know, you know, hey, sister, how are you doing? Oh, no, I can't talk to you. you know. but we're not talking about that. 
Well, we're talking about approaching this thing when it comes to authority biblically the right way. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 17. Can I say this? Uh, I, I have my wife teach ladies Bible studies. You know what? I, I, I wouldn't... I, I, if my wife was saying, I'm going to teach this, and I didn't know what it was, and she wasn't under subjection to this church's authority as a pastor, even if she's my wife, I'd say no. You say why? Because it's biblical. Um, see, some of you think some of you think family means. It. I, I I'm telling you right now that I thank God for a good woman. She's a good wife, and a good a good help to this church as well. But if if she ever said, you know, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to tell other men in the church what they need to do, that's not her job. That's not her job. So so I might, I might say, hey, honey, they got some questions about something. But if my wife, my, my wife doesn't walk around here barking orders at men, that's not appropriate. It's not right. Okay. Yes. And for, for that matter, let me be honest, I don't bark orders at people either. All right. It's not the way it should work in a church. But you understand what I'm saying. Look at Revelation chapter 17. Boy, I'm, this is a real fun message. I'm glad we're having this <laughs> tonight. Revelation 17. Uh, look, if you would, at verse 1. There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and taught with me, saying to me, come hither. I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Kind of rough language, but it's biblical. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. Question, what religious entity has a golden cup as her symbol? Okay, all right. Are you starting to draw connections between the tribe of Dan, an old Babylonian religion that's been around for thousands of years that just got a reboot and got a different name? And it's going to make a comeback, and it's going to be very prevalent. Why do you suppose the Pope just had uh, trans people dancing around in costumes in the holy city? Getting ready for something, gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, we're getting ready for the rapture is what we're getting ready for. Um, but, but look, if you would, at yeah, you got to get excited about that. That's pretty cool. Uh, not not the Pope part, but the other part. <laughs> dancing, don't not the dancing part. That's weird. All right, <laughs> got to be careful these days. Look at verse five. And upon her forehead was name a name written mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. This this Jezebel that's spoken of in Revelation two is connected with this woman. How do you know? Look at verse six. See what does she do? She says, "Just let me in, and and I'll give you a religion that's that's tolerable, and you'll enjoy it." And it appeases to the flesh. And you got to understand something. We talk about uh, satanic religion. Here's what you understand about it. Satanic re- Oh, and by the way, by the way, by the way, if you want a reference, Jeremiah 44. You know what they do? They offer drink offerings in the Old Testament these, to a goddess. And guess what her name is in Jeremiah 44? Queen of Heaven. You, any of you ex-Catholics ever heard that term before? Jeremiah 44, and God was not a fan. You say, what is this? Well, it's all the same old stuff packaged differently, but you know what real satanic religion is? And, man, we got we to gotta drop this. Real satanic religion is this. It's something that appeals to your flesh. And if you want to understand it, look at Genesis. You don't, don't turn there, but you can go to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, it was good for food. And it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And when a religion appeals to those senses, it engulfs everything around it. 
But when it does that, here's you have to understand, those that do want to stand up for truth, they're going to have to pay for it because that thing's not going to be tolerant of them. And Christian, that's the doctrinal application for the tribulation. Christian, the practical application is this. Don't allow anything in your life that you tolerate that God doesn't have his stamp of approval on. Because if you tolerate it now, it's going to eat you alive tomorrow. Let's all stand. Thank you, Lord, for a good night. Chance to learn some Bible. Lord, chance to look at some things. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would put your hand on our church. Lord, help us to, to have a desire to have a testimony. Lord, like we hear about some of these churches and they have a testimony. And Lord, they, they have works that they express. And Lord, I pray that our community and I pray that this world and I pray that, Lord, the lost around us and uh, even believers that are searching for truth, Lord, could look here and see a place where they can get the word of God and they can grow and be discipled and, uh, and uh, influence those around them. And Lord, I, I pray you'd help us, Lord, uh, again, as believers, not to tolerate things that uh, will muddy up the waters, Lord. Um, and uh, clearly what happens, Lord, from the church of Thyatira is what one generation allows, uh, Lord, eventually it ate them alive and it cost them, many of them, their lives in the dark ages. And God, I just pray that you'd uh, help us have our guard up spiritually, Lord. Uh, uh, Lord, I think that you've given us all things richly to enjoy. Lord, there's so many great things that you've given around us in this life to enjoy that we can, that we should. Uh, the blessings of life, Lord, and family. And Lord, uh, uh, the ability to work and the ability to create things and, and Lord, innovate. And all the things you, you put in us, Lord, and, and reach out to others with the gospel and, and have purpose in, in what we do every single day and waking up with that renewed purpose, Lord, because we know you so much, so much good. But, Lord, I pray as it relates to, Lord, just the things that our flesh is sometimes uh, overly drawn to, Lord, and, and the spirit of the age, Lord, help us to have our guard up with that. Lord, love you. Pray give your people a good night and a safe drive home. Lord, please be with all those that are sick. Bring us back together Sunday morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.